Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. Have I made a joke about Danica Patrick? Danica Patrick, I go, holy smokes. I said, she's good look. And now all the NASCAR drivers are going to have to have windshield wipers on the inside of the car. <laughs> I think another one was about pole, pole setter, but I can't remember how it went. On the but pole. Danica's was, on the pole again. You were the grand marshal and I was also doing something. We were the two big guests at the big yeah. race there in uh, Louisiana, I think it was. You went up and did your deal. Then I And you said a couple of jokes about me. And then I went up and did my deal and did a couple of Danica Patrick jokes. I come across an article from that thing. And it was some gossip column in, in Hollywood. And it said... It said, could there be a new romance in the making? <laughs> and it said, and it said the chemistry between Danica Patrick and Larry. <laughs> and I was I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even remember this article I showed my wife. And we just got to laughing about it. This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And this show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Today on the show is Dan Whitney. And you're going to go, wait a second, who's that? And then I'm going to say, Larry the Cable Guy. And you're going to go, oh, I know who that is. Well, his real name is Dan. So the beginning of the conversation was all about Dan and Larry <laughs> and how they, when Larry was born and the relationship with Larry and who Dan is. But you know, the, the beginning was so much about just, it was just Dan. And um, my goodness, he is a really, really, really compassionate guy. He's a really kind guy. Of course, he's funny, um, but he's also really smart and thoughtful. And uh, I just loved the the first half of this conversation was so, so such a different vibe than I feel like I've really seen and heard out of him. And, and I just loved it. Uh, he's, uh, he's obviously an extremely successful comedian. He uh, was on the Blue Collar Comedy Tour back in the early 2000s with other famous names. He has tons of comedy albums that have come out and been successful. And I later on in the episode joked about all the things that he sells on his website. I mean, it's everything from like knives to underwear and Bloody Larry mix and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, do you have a line in the sand? Like, I'm not going to sell this. Uh, but what it skipped to really quick was that all of the things that he sells on his website go to the Get Her Done Foundation, and they've donated uh, over $7 million so far to charities from all of those sales um, from the things that he sells on the website. So uh, what an amazing guy, super cool, super funny, super thoughtful, really smart. And um, I think you're going to fall in love with Dan today. And you're all, you probably already love Larry, but but you're going to really meet Dan today. And uh, he's a wonderful human. And of course, if you love his Larry character and all of the funny things that he does for his job, uh, he's touring, which I'm sure that we can all say, thank God for touring, whether it's music or comedy or anything. Um, let's get out there and, and support these people who've been, you know, whose lives depend on, on doing that. And now maybe Larry slash Dan's doesn't, but still, we love to see him out doing his thing. Enjoy the episode. You can, you know what? You can uh, do Larry the Cable Guy, but we're friends. So Dan, the rest of the time. I mean, people, call, yeah, that's a crazy thing because people call me just Larry. I'll go, I've been Larry since 1993. So um, all my friends call me Dan. People that think they know me call me Danny um, for some reason. I don't know. It's yeah. weird, but I've been Larry the Cable Guy. They call me, like, even when I do like, 
like I'm doing this big free show down here at the Lead Center in Lincoln, Nebraska. So they do this whole thing and they call me Larry the Cable Guy. They never once call me by my real name. And it's like, why are people calling me? Obviously, it's a character. I mean, how, you know what I mean? So stupid, but no. People don't know <laughs> that though. People don't know that. I didn't really even know that. Like, I just thought it was Larry and somehow you became the Cable Guy. That's how good of an actor. Guy. I mean, these are really like, you know, these are logical questions in my head. That's how good of an actor I am. That's right. Right. <laughs> they always tell me that, like, my movies, like, I'm such a bad actor. And critics <laughs> always hammer me. He's acting. You can't act. Well, evidently, I'm act, I'm, I act pretty good because you actually think I am this, like, cable guy that, like, I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, people are complete morons. <laughs> Oh, um, have we started the interview? Of course. We started the interview from the point <laughs> so, in time where you were looking at it really close. So I, I so, soft start. I put people off a little bit, but I kind of soft start. And um, mostly it's because I like people to feel comfortable. And I know that you can be very uptight. So I wanted to really like roll into this easily. <laughs> yeah, I'm real difficult. <laughs> no, you, Dan's fine. I mean, you know, it's really crazy because I've been doing this now. Um, I hit nationally with Larry the Cable Guy doing my character in like 1997, 98, you know, doing clubs everywhere. And then when I hit the Blue Collar Tour, then it was everywhere. Yeah. But I've been doing this literally. So since so that's like uh, 21 years just after Blue Collar started, 22 years. And then like five years before that on radio. But it's like I've done hundreds of interviews. I did 60 Minutes interview I'm, I'm out of character i'm one of the only stand-up comedians ever featured on 60 minutes and i did it completely out of character uh i've done i mean i've done so many interviews out of character and people i don't you know and, and it's not my fans it's people that just like which are very few obviously because i got great fan base yeah but they, you know, people that don't like me, particularly like critics, you know how critics are. They, they don't like it. They don't like it. And they have this image of you and they just keep putting out this fake, you know, they've never been to my shows. They've never, they just, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. So it's like my fans know for the most part that it's a character. Now, when I first started, some of them might not have. But as I went along and I did interviews and so forth and so on, at some point, I think some of them got to the point, wait a second, this is so outrageous. This has got to be fake, right? This is so outrageous. I think the thing that confuses some people is I'm, uh, I'm not like, I'm a real country kid. You know, I grew up on a in a town of 1200 in the southeast corner of Nebraska. I grew up raised in hogs. Um, my goal in life was to be a uh, cattle auctioneer. Um, that's what I wanted to do. So I'm a, I'm a bona fide grade A country kid. Then I met Foxworthy. And when I started, you know, I went to college in Georgia. And then I met Foxworthy. So I've been around Southerners literally my whole life up to after the age of 15 at 16 and so i just picked up the accent so it's like when i hang out with my buddies yeah that's how all my buddies always talk yeah. and you just pick it up you do so it's so easy like being in nascar and kind of here you kind of end up y'all i mean like there's at least at least in the vocabulary there are new words or additional words you know it, it's, yeah. it's so easy to pick it up Oh, absolutely. So it's, you know, people don't understand that. But I mean, just look at people that like my wife's from Wisconsin. Um, she talks pretty normal now because we live in Nebraska, but all of her, all of the rest of her family, they're all, hey, so we were all, you know, they all sound like Dick Trickle. So, <laughs> you know, so um, that's how I kind of am. If I spend any time in Wisconsin, uh, on vacation, I start to sound like that. So if I go back to Florida, where I live some of the time, I'm back in the accent because that's where all my friends are. Hmm. So it's it, it's it's crazy. So I literally can talk normal like I'm talking to you now. And then uh, uh, for about uh, five weeks in the summer, 
I'm, uh, I'm, I turn into Dick Trickle because that's who I'm around. And then um, in the winter time, most of the winter, when I go to Florida, I go from me to Dick Trickle, back to me, to Ward Burton. <laughs> Burton. Ward Burton. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so that's, that's uh, you know, that's, I tell everybody, I defy you to go to Florida, move to Florida as a, uh, and hang out with people that are completely Southern for any period of time. And you're living proof. You pick up the accent. You pick up certain words, and you can't you can't get away from it. Yeah, I I, I agree. You pick things up, but what I'm hearing is like so many different. You pick up so many different uh, words and accents, and maybe even mannerisms or the way you live. Who knows? And I think about the fact that you're a comedian and you you have these you have these roles, you have, you know, you're the cable guy, which I do want to hear, by the way, what it sounds like when you're Larry, the cable guy versus Dan or versus any other character. I'm curious because I want people to understand when you are Larry, the cable guy versus not. And maybe it's just in the jokes, but maybe it's in the accent, but also I'm thinking you make people feel comfortable. And so, you know, you grew up, you know, I mean, from what I understand, you know, your dad wasn't always the easiest on you. And, you know, you, you know, comedy came in at a young age. And, and I wonder if maybe there's some level, some like more psychological sort of perspective where you mold into your environment because it makes people feel comfortable. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, comedy gave me confidence. I never really had a lot of confidence and comedy gave me confidence because when once you got on stage and you start doing it, um, you're not good at first, but you stick to it. And then all of a sudden you get up and you, you're in control of an audience and and you're making some people laugh. And all of a sudden a pretty girl comes up and starts talking to you. And it give, Then you get more and more confidence. I think that's why a lot of times... When I did the character, it gave me uh, it, it it gave me an opportunity to kind of um, do something in another persona, you know, that made me more comfortable. So when I started doing Larry the Cable Guy, it's like I was just saying that to somebody the other day. I automatically, if I'm meeting somebody for the first time, or I'm in a group of people for the first time, I automatically resort to and of course though somebody will call me larry or whatever but it's kind of a defense mechanism i feel more comfortable in a crowd of people going hey what's going on y'all hey did y'all ever hit up Berta? you know uh oh yeah i was up there last week we was up there you know and i just and i just naturally talk that way because i've had so much confidence doing that that it kind of just I ease into I ease into things a lot better. Then, you know, an hour into the conversation, I'm back to my I'm back to being me and just talking like me. But when I first when I first start in certain situations, that's how I start talking. And it's subconscious. I mean, I don't even do it on purpose. It's like my buddy called me the other day, my buddy Brad Ward from Sanford, Florida. He called me where I used to live in Sanford and you know, he was one of my buddies I grew up with. So he's real Southern, you know. And so I was just talking to my wife like this, normal. We're having a conversation. Brad called. And first thing she hears me do is go, hey, what's up, Brad? No, he ain't called me. But if he calls, you know, tell him I got two of So just, you know, whatever he needs to do, you know. And I literally had this 15-minute conversation with my buddy Brad. <laughs> and I hung up and my wife said, you know, you were in character for 15 minutes. <laughs> I didn't even realize it. It's just, that's how Brad talks and he's my friend. And that's kind of like, a, you know, our, our little group thing we got going. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I really turn it on if it's somebody that, uh, you know, cause I, I was born in Nebraska, but I grew up in the South. You know, I grew up in Florida, which is the South, whether people want to believe it or not. And depending on what part you're in. And so all my friends were Southern, you know, because I was a country kid. I hung out with the people that had livestock and horses and cattle. So um, they were all very Southern. 
So it's uh, if I ever if I'm somewhere here, say if I'm somewhere just here, where I'm at in Lincoln, and somebody will come up and go, "Hey, Larry, man, we's big fans, man. We we seen you down at you know, and they got a southern accent." I'll go. Hey man, I appreciate it. Where y'all from? And they'll tell me, oh yeah, you know, we spent time down there. And, you know, it just it just happens. And I subconsciously do it. I don't do it just because I'm trying to fake somebody out. I do it because it's just me. It's just that's what comes out of me. Uh, I think it makes me feel safer, it makes me feel uh more connected to the person. Um because I'll be honest, I, I, I really, I, uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence when I was a kid. And I built my confidence through the character Larry the Cable Guy that enabled me to be able to go on stage in front of thousands of people and tell jokes. Uh, and it, and it, so, yeah, it's really helped me come out of my shell and be able to talk to people with confidence and, mm. and uh, why weren't you confident? I mean, clearly you're a friendly guy, you're a funny guy, you're you're an empathetic, kind person, which because all you're you're really just mirroring people. So that's a very, you know, that makes people feel really comfortable. So well, what was it? What was it about your childhood that wasn't that didn't make you have confidence? Well, no, it's just you know, some kids grow up and they don't think they're good at anything. You and your mind think you're good at something, but you're scared to try it for fear that you're not good at it. What happens if you failed? Was there a punishment? No, not at all. If you got bad grades, did you come home and well, get punished I got, for that? I got bad grades because I was a goof off and I just never really tried. No, look, I know what you're getting at. Look, my dad was, uh, I love my dad. My dad was my dad. I mean, I only have one dad. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was a preacher. He was very strict. He was strict on some things. He was not strict on other things. Uh, but yeah, he was very strict and he wasn't a very good dad. Um, I love him. I forgive him. He's a human being. Now that I'm older and I have kids, mm -hmm. I completely understand where he's coming from. However, he did things that I would never do that I think helped me to be a better father, mm -hmm. you know, in, in other words, uh, get rid of the violence, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I learned. Here's what I learned. Here's what, here's what you need to do as kids and as growing up. You learn from your elders. And I've always learned from my elders. I've taken wonderful things from my mom, who has experienced so many things through life at the age of 86, uh, especially like going through this pandemic and everybody's scared to walk outside and everybody's scared to do this. Here's a woman that lived through smallpox and measles and hiding under desk when they thought they were going to get bombed by the uh, Russians. I mean, she's and she was the first one to go, I don't get what everybody's so scared about. You know? <laughs> it, it is, you know what? You live through these things. These are things that happen. Every generation has. And I get it. But yeah. But uh, so it just taught me how to be. Uh, I'm not a perfect dad, but uh, I do my best and I learned what we're supposed to do as we grow up is learn from mistakes from other people. So you don't do the same mistakes over again. And that's what I try to do in my life. I try to learn from how I grew up and the mistakes that my dad made. I don't want to make those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so it made me a better father. Now, a lot of people don't do that. They don't think yeah. about it. They don't learn. And that goes for everything. It goes for, uh, our government, it goes for the way people live their lives. It goes for, as you can tell right now, our government never learns from the past. They do the right. same things over and over and over and wonder why it's not working. It helped in my, it helped me in comedy later on because I was always the person that could, uh, a pop out a funny joke or a one-liner when I needed it to lighten the mood up a little bit. It really taught me timing, when to throw in a joke, what kind of joke is perfect for this situation, what joke might cross the line a little bit. So I really learned a lot from, from, uh, from that kind of stuff, you know? Well, you, you say that life, you're supposed to learn lessons and some people don't learn them. I, that's totally true. But I think the layer that most people don't get to 
because I think it's the hardest one is to say, I love my dad. Like I, as a dad now can understand him. So how did you get to that point? Because I think that's the hardest is to get to actually truly get to that point of forgiveness of love and to be able to go, wow, maybe you can even gather that it probably came from his dad. Right. And all of a sudden now you go, I'm not going to keep this pattern going. And I'm, I, I love you. Right. Well, you know, since you asked, I'll tell you, you know, um, I'm a Christian. I believe uh, I'm not religious. I'm a G. I try to follow uh, the Bible and Jesus as much as I can. We'll never do it, obviously, because we're never going to be perfect. But uh, he taught me how to forgive. And if he wouldn't have taught me how to forgive, I would never forgive him. But Jesus forgave me. He tells us to forgive people. And so that's what you do. You forgive. And my dad wasn't perfect, but I forgive him. In in the end, when you think about it, he's a human being. He had the same problems, the same struggles, the same dumb, stupid stuff that other people do. And he, you know, so I I forgive him. And it's the most freeing thing that you'll ever do in your life to be able to get to the point to forgive somebody that has done things in your life that really kind of messed you up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, the when I tell people, I honestly do. I love them. I forgive him. He was a human. Um, I'm not perfect. I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I've probably in relationships, I've probably hurt people um, as everybody hurts people in relationships. And uh, But the best thing you can do is forgive. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a free, free moment. I couldn't do it if I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't believe in uh, Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, that's a guy that was hanging on a cross that did nothing. But he never asked for any money. He never um, begged anybody for anything. He never forced his beliefs. He never forced what he was teaching on anybody. He gave everybody free will. And they did nothing, but and they killed him. They killed him. They killed a guy who did nothing but want to bring bring peace and hope to the world. And they killed him. And he looked right at him and he said, "Father, forgive them." Mm. If he can do that, so can I. It makes me think about the way that the world is right now, and you're looking at deplatforming, cancel culture. Right. Things just things being taken out of media and out of our reach because of certain reasons. And it's like he got taken out based on just living his life and not forcing anything, but just, you know, preaching uh, the truth, preaching his feelings. And like today we're seeing this all over the place. People. I mean, I don't even know where you stand on this, but as a comedian, I felt like you guys are like the last ones that get to make all the jokes and say all the things, where the hell do you land on that? Do you all of a sudden (laughs) have to approach your shows differently? Well, before I get to that, uh, he was the truth and he was shedding light on darkness. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to have their darkness uh, light shined on their evil deeds. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening today. People don't want the truth being being shown mm-hmm. on the evilness that they're doing and what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so they will ban any form of truth mm-hmm. because they don't want the truth uncovered. Mm-hmm. And that's a fact. If you are really, here's the thing. If you are really truthful, you don't want anything bad because you can defend what you're doing. If you're telling the if you if you're telling the truth, if you're an honest person, you're telling the truth, you can defend it because it's true and it's the truth. If you're not telling the truth, they don't want to hear it. So they will do everything they can to get the truth off of there because it's shining a light on their deeds and they don't want that shine. That was oh, the same that. thing. Well, that's the same thing with Christ. He was he was shining a light on all of their fraudulent BS, and they didn't like it. You know, so they were con- just real quick. They were controlling back in then the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the, uh, the, the they were controlling the people with religion, with their religion, and. Jesus was shining a light on what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, because religion's all man-made rules. Yeah. Following Christ is his rules, no man-made rules. So you, you, have you noticed with religion and with man-made rules, the goalpost always changes. You always have different targets to hit. Jesus has one target to hit, one goalpost, one target. You're never confused. There it is. What is it? With man, yeah, with man, you're, you're trying to reach all kinds of these. Oh, make sure you just do this. You got to do this or you're not going to, you know, and make sure that your good deeds outdo your bad deeds. That is completely not anything that Jesus talked about at all. What's that? What's that one truth? What's that one truth that you anchor with? I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh the Father but through me. And they didn't like that. And that's what he said. Um, as far as uh, uh, as far as uh, comedy goes, with the times that we're living in today, um, it is tough. And uh, you know, it's funny that Bill Maher. I have never. I'm one of those comics that like. I like all comedy. Comedy's hard. And even though a comic is doing things that I don't agree with, or things that I would never do or say. I, they have every right to do it and try to find their own following. It's called capitalism. It's called finding, having a, doing what you do and have an audience find you and like you. You know, if you don't like the comedian, if you think he's doing this or he's hateful, or then don't go see him. Don't go see him. He's out of your life. Don't try to ban him from being able to do what he does. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, I feel bad for the comics coming up today because they have this whole different standard and they have people that are running the entertainment business where if they don't like what you say, you're out of here. If they don't like what you do, then you're not going to get a break. So you better toe the line. You better do jokes that we find acceptable or you're not going to be able to be a comedian. Now, the comics that won't have a problem with that are the ones that are already established. The ones that already have a built-in following where their audience tells those people to go suck it. Um, you know, I feel bad for the up-and-coming comics because they're going to have a hard time with that. Um, but, but there are those of us still out there that do comedy the way comedy was intended to be. Uh, you know, God gave everybody a different sense of humor. We all have certain senses of humor. It's a gift. Why do why why were we created with a sense of humor and a different type of sense of humor? Because when we were created, God knew what our personalities were going to be like. What we were going to be like, what what we think what we think is funny to one person isn't funny to another person. What one person thinks is funny, another person doesn't think is funny. I don't know how many times I have uh, been around people that have kids that have like. Uh, that are that are uh, crippled or whatever, or or someone uh, and and their dad or their somebody will make a yeah you know he might and they'll crack a joke about it you know and you're thinking man why would you crack a joke about it? you know why because that's the way he deals with it that's the way he can get through the day yeah. that's his sense of humor yeah he was he was yeah. created with that sense of humor. Because he was going to experience situations where he would need that sense of humor. That's why we all have a different sense of humor to deal with certain yeah. things. Certain I have issues. a friend who I have a friend who got cancer and he ended up having a have, have a ball cut off. And he's like, all the jokes you can possibly make about this would be wonderful. So it's like, you know, <laughs> let's go have a ball, but just one, you know, like he wanted them all. That was just yeah. his sense of humor. And then there's somebody else, like you said, who has something happen. And it's literally, it's just taboo. We don't talk about it. And, right. um, you know, that's that there's enough. <laughs> If you're yourself, there's enough people. Number one, I think that resonates with people when you're just kind of being yourself, whatever that is. But there's plenty of people out there in the world. There's like 8 billion people, you know, and or <laughs> I'm trying to think uh, what I think Biden said there was 350 million people in the country, but there's like 320. Right. So, you know, there's 320 million people just in this country. So, you know, there's enough people that will pay attention to what you're doing and your sense of humor will resonate with even if it resonates with, you know, a couple percent. That's a lot of people. 
Absolutely. I mean, and it's, uh, it's, it's good. Laughter is good. And whether you like that person laughing at something, that's not you to decide. Maybe that's how he's dealing with something. You know, you don't know. So mind your own business. <laughs> right. It's like mind your own business. Yeah. Well, speaking of comedy changing, um, I, uh, I'm fascinated with your comedy before you were married to after you were married and then with right. kids and, um, and the fact that you would just like make stuff up before <laughs> you were married because nobody was going to know, right. You can make up a right. joke about a girl and it don't matter. But, like, right. You clearly can't because you're married now. Um, In my act, so I had like 90 ex-wives. <laughs> <laughs> um so well first off have you ever made a joke about me have i made a joke about danica patrick you know what <laughs> i think i did i think uh I, what did i yeah i said that uh danica patrick i go holy smokes she's good i said she's good look and now all the nascar drivers are gonna have to have windshield wipers on the inside of the car <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then uh what was in this i think another one was about pole pole center but i can't remember how it went <laughs> that's a good one on the but pole danica's on was, the pole again yeah i think it was i think no i never did that when it was something about pole setter but it was for i think it was i can't remember what it was for it was i can't remember it was so long ago oh, but man. i think i only did two or three of them i'll tell you a funny story though remember when we went down to you and i were like you were the grand marshal and i was also doing something we were the two big guests at the big yeah. race there in uh, louisiana i think it was or no it was uh, at the football game yeah 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 i was like it at was a race a, i probably wouldn't have been able to but it, it um, was at a bowl game that's right was it in mobile alabama yeah it was yeah Maybe? and it was funny because you and i were kind of hanging out and then you went up you went up and did your deal. Then I, and you said a couple of jokes about me. And then I went up and did my deal, did a couple of Danica Patrick jokes. I think one of them might have been windshield wipers on the inside of the car. <laughs> and anyway, and then they, they said some interviewed me, but we both said something nice about each other. And I just thought this was so funny. I was cleaning out my mail the other day. And I have stuff all the way back from 2012. So I'm just getting rid of stuff. And I come across an article from that thing and it was some gossip column in, in hollywood and it said it said could there be a new romance in the making <laughs> and it said and it said the chemistry between danica patrick and larry <laughs> and i was i was like oh my gosh i don't even remember this article that i showed my wife and we just got to laughing about it it was so hilarious that's amazing i'm <laughs> sure your wife has a good sense of humor herself oh, she's to a comedian but oh, i'm yeah. so she's great. like so what would be an example like was there some certain jokes before you were married that would just like bring the house down that were total lies oh my gosh absolutely or maybe based on truth maybe you're uh, maybe just a small nugget of truth a small <laughs> nugget but i would go yeah my i'm you know these are so far back i'm trying to remember i've had like hang on are you larry are you larry in these jokes oh, oh yeah if i okay. if i can if i can remember them i'll be there i just i'm trying to think if i can remember from way back then now you're talking about my first album that literally was from like two, uh, 1999 or 2000. Um, I'm trying to remember some of those jokes about, yeah, I dated this gal. Uh, she had one boob bigger than the other boob. We got in a wet t-shirt contest. She took first and third place on that damn thing. And I told her, you know, there's all kinds. I can't remember that far back. Um, uh, yeah, my, what was one? Uh, yeah, my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law got married last week and now she's pregnant. She didn't even tell her husband. She didn't even tell her husband that she was pregnant because he'd kind of gotten used to her throwing up after they had sex now, so they can't, <laughs> you know. But everything, I made up all kinds of, I made up brothers, I made up sisters, I made up, see, that was the cool thing about back then. It was so freeing. I mean, I could make up family members and, and, and all that stuff. And I had kind of, did have a little dilemma because when I got married, 
I thought, oh man, I don't want to be doing, I'm out with this girl last night or I was up at the strip club last week or I was, you know, cause that was like, well, even if it's made up, I don't want to, cause I'm married now. So I don't want people to go. Respectful. And we've so already established I, from the very beginning that you're a very kind guy and that you like people to feel comfortable. So the last thing you want to do is make your wife feel like she's not important or not. Oh existing. my gosh. I literally had to get rid of anything like that. I didn't do, I did ex-girlfriend jokes. I didn't do ex-wife jokes anymore because everybody knew this was my first wife <laughs> in real life. And that's, that was the first time though, Danica, that was really weird for me because that was the first time that the character blended in with me, with my real life before everything was fake. It was all made up. It was Larry, the cable guy. I was writing for this whole persona now the persona has just dipped into reality. <laughs> Which is almost, in a way, that's like, yes, there's some like artistic freedom with being able to make up these stories, but right. it's, it's like, it's like self-deprecating humor. It's so funny. So now you're really telling the truth kind of, you know, when you're spinning right. it. So what is something like, what's uh, what's, what's a joke that you told afterwards that um, was like right on the limit of truth. And, you know, I don't know, something about you, something your wife does, or you did, you do, or something like that, where you're like, man, this one hits, but it's pushing it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Something about, you know, sex after marriage or blowjobs, anything like that? No, you know what? I didn't. You stay away I, from that? I cut that stuff out. I didn't want to disrespect my wife. Wow, you are, and, you and are I, a good, good person. I, I'm not a good person. I cut it out. There might have been one or two, but honestly, Danica, if I could remember, I would. We're, we're talking... You know, I do all one-liners. So, I mean, in, in a full 70-minute show, I have 280-something punchlines, jokes, and I've had seven albums. So that's, you know, 2,500 jokes. So it's, I, I really can't remember. It's the current stuff I can remember that I'm doing now. But um, I stay away. I stayed away from anything that I thought, well, that's kind of mean. I, I don't want to do that. Like I had one that I didn't do um, that I thought was, I thought was funny, but it was like, I, well, and it was, uh, we were going to film our baby's first birth. My, my baby, when my baby was first born, we was going to film the birth, but I couldn't get Jessica Simpson to play the part of my wife. So we ended up <laughs> not doing that. You know, and then I thought, well, and then I'm thinking, wait a minute, my wife's just as hot as Jessica Simpson. So why would I use, you know, <laughs> I mean, seriously. So then to me, it wasn't as funny. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Now I'm making my wife sound like a dog. She's beautiful. Why would I? Yeah. So it was really, that was the one hard thing about, uh, about my act, because I tried to separate it from me because I'm so different in ways. I'm not different in the fact that both the character is very country, very, uh, very rural, very, so am I. So that's the same kind of thing. A lot, some people, when they do a character, they do the opposite of that, the complete opposite. Right. I didn't do the complete opposite. I did basically people that I grew up with and friends that I knew is basically what I did. So, which were pretty much lived like I did, grew up like I did, but said things differently than I would say them. And I would no way would I have. I would have more tact than, than they would. But that's when everything started to bleed together. And then when I had kids, it even bled even more together. And um, that's when critics and everybody started saying that I became this character, that every time you see me, I'm Larry the Cable Guy, which is not true. Because every time critics or anybody would see me, I was, I was working. I was either doing uh, cars or I was doing a show or I was, so I was working. Obviously I was going to be in character. I'm working. I'm doing what I do, mm -hmm. but out on the streets, it was never, it was just always me. It was just the same kind of, you know, whatever. I think that's a thing with, with comedians. Like I, I remember like even David Letterman, he was, he owned the team that I drove for him and Bobby Rahal owned the first IndyCar team I drove for. And, you know, there was this whole like 
expectation level going out in public that they knew, which is like, I'm supposed to be funny. I'm supposed to do these things. And I, I always think, especially for comedians, um, that I, how does that feel? And, you know, you are a comedian because I'm sure it's in there, but is there, is that your, is that your on pressure? Like for me, I'm like, you know, you know, I got in public and you're supposed to be friendly and nice and you do all the things, but I think it's like a, a more minimal expectation level, like just be a decent right. human where with a role like that, with a job like that, people expect you to just floor them when you walk by and say something. Well, that's the thing. And that's where I say that uh, where my character comes in handy, because like I said, Larry the cable guy that I created, I'm funny. Uh, he's funny too. I, I, I wrote for him to be, I created him to be funny as well, but he's a little more daring than I am. Um, so that's, uh, that's where that all comes in handy because people do, you're a comedian. People do expect you to be, Oh man, he's funny, you know? And so that's when boom, it's not all, all, all let that be me, myself, I'm just myself, but they'll come up and they'll, and so boom, right away, I'll go, hey, what's going on there with your heel? And then I'll dip down into something. And it doesn't even have to be a lot. All it has to be, because I know they like the movie Cars and not like that kind of stuff. So, hey, there's some people will say, hey, what's up, Dan? Well, the ones that'll say my real name, I'll say, hey, what's going on? You know, and the other ones will go, hey, Mater, what's, you know, I get a lot of that. Hey, Mater, what's going on, Mater? And I'll go, oh, I'll tell you what. It's hotter, whatever, blah, 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 you know. It's so cold outside today, the ice cream machine at McDonald's was working. I'll tell you what, you know, and then I'll dip down and do that. They laugh, they go on their way. That's why sometimes I, I, I always get frustrated. I mean, they can do what they want, but comics that have been around a while that have a certain catchphrase or, or a certain thing that they did in a movie, they don't like to do it anymore because they feel like they, oh, I don't want to, you know what I mean? It's like uh, Jimmy Walker. Jimmy Walker hated saying dynamite. I get it. I totally get it. Um, Fox Worthy is sick of saying you might be a redneck. Yeah. You might be a redneck. Are you yeah, sick of saying get her done? But it's just like Jeff does the same thing, though. It doesn't hurt to give a real quick one, laugh, and move on. They're happy. You're happy. You made somebody happy. So that's what I do. Is it sometimes a pain in the neck? Absolutely. But you know what? Hey, internet. <laughs> And they go in a way, and then you've, you and you weren't a jerk. And plus, I like people. I honestly like people. I, I enjoy people. Mm -hmm. I like making them happy. And so I don't mind doing things like that. But I definitely dip down into the character a lot when I'm when somebody expects me to be funny because that's what I do. That's funny. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I do. Then when I get to know them, I can be myself and be funny. You know. Uh, so, but when I first meet somebody I'm in a crowd and they expect it to be funny, my defense mechanism is always, my default is always, hey, 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 hey you know, that's always my default because it, it breaks the ice, yeah. makes everybody feel comfortable. Yeah. And so that's, that's my, that's my default there. You know, what's true for me right now is that, you know, we've seen each other a few different times and chatted and whatever, but I, this is more of a real conversation than we've ever had. And you're a really, I like, I mean, I like Dan. I like you're, <laughs> you're smart. You've thought about things. You're compassionate. Um, you're also convicted. Like, I feel like you have beliefs that are strong in all different ways, not just religious, but other ways right. too. And um and so I'm really glad that this conversation is led so strongly with Dan and yeah, you know, we you. didn't. Yeah. Cause I, I really like Dan. I mean, yes, Larry makes people laugh and these other roles make people laugh, but you know, it's uh, it's magic for comedians. You can get people to fall in love with you with a role, but it's really like the deep true love is, is comes through when you show who you really are. And so I'm right. glad we've had, you've been so open about so many things. I, you know, you know what, Dan? I'm always open. I, I, I'm always open. I'm always honest. I don't, there's no need to lie to anybody. And, you know, when you said that, it's funny. It reminds me of another person that said that uh, to me, uh, to me was uh, John Lasseter from Pixar. Mm. You know, uh, John, La when people ask me, um, uh, John Lasseter said to me that 
he loved it that I voiced Mater and he got to hang around me because he said, uh, uh, not only does he, he said the same thing. He goes, man, I love Larry the Cable Guy. It's so funny. He goes, but I really like hanging out with Dan. I really like Dan. And he said, uh, the closest you'll get to me and uh, with is Mater because Mater is the Larry voice. But Mater is my is is my personality is my character. Um, I I talked like Larry the Cable Guy for Mater, but when I came up with the inflections and the "Hey Miss Sally," hey, like when I came up with all of the heart stuff, that was basically I was just throwing me into it, just putting me into the character. But I used the Larry accent. But that's why John Lasseter. That's what he loved about it. He said, man, I see both of you in Mater after hanging out with you. I see both of you. I see the character and I see Dan in Mater. But it's just funny you say that because he said the same thing. And, uh, and uh, but, you know, hey, I'm like everybody else. I'm, uh, I'm not perfect. I do my best. I, I try to be kind to everybody. Sometimes I sometimes you know how it is. Sometimes you just blow a top and you got those days where you you lose your self-control and you and you just got to be alone and i have very few of those days um uh but uh everybody does have those days obviously i'm not perfect and i let me say this as well to you and, and this isn't a butt kissing session for either one of us but i have to say this for you because you said it's just hard when you go out in public and you have to do this and you have to do that and I get it, man. I get it. Sometimes there's nothing worse than people. Then you know what I mean? If if I sometimes if I could, I would never leave the house just to avoid people. Sometimes you get in that mood. You know what I mean? But I'll tell you, we went down to a race. I've been to a ton of races. I've been to Grand Marshal a bunch of times. And but the last few times I've taken my kids because they're old enough to enjoy it. But we were at that race and we were at the race in kansas city and uh man you were so kind to my kids my daughter has been a danica patrick fan ever since that day in kansas city because mm -hmm. you were so nice to them and they were so they were just really enamored at how nice you were so they they both said when they left their their favorites were danica patrick and ryan newman because they were so uh -huh. nice to <laughs> oh, oh and, uh, that's yeah. so sweet. Thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, so, so that's so you do do a really good job at that. Thanks. And, and I know well, a lot of times. I've always taken a little extra time with the kids because they can't reason. Like an adult can reason and go, you're working or you probably have right. somewhere to go. But a kid doesn't really know. You know, a kid, right. you know, the kid just goes, oh, my, my favorite person just walked by and didn't say anything to me or ignored me or. <laughs> You know, they weren't very nice, you know, and that sticks. Right. And you also, they're so impressionable. I mean, the the molding of a child, I mean, it's happening most aggressively until about the age of about six, six to eight. And so to to have an yeah. effect on a kid like that is is a really cool thing. And, you know, you were talking about a lot about kids and we're talking about Pixar and cars. And I found it amazing to hear just how impressionable how meaningful it was for you to be a part of pixar versus let's say the blue collar comedy tour which that's where i mean that like puts you on the map i mean six right. years of touring with you know a lineup of amazing comedians i mean you know it it made all i mean i remember watching it as a kid you know it's it was a huge <laughs> deal but pixar is what hits home and i'm wondering what why that is Oh man, I'm so old. You were a kid watching this. Um, uh, I hear that about me too. So, hey, people are like, people, <laughs> you know, even I feel like, oh my God, my boyfriend even said, he's like, you know, when I met you, I thought you would, I thought you were a lot, I thought you were going to be a lot older. Like he's like, that. I, I didn't realize you'd be, <laughs> you were, you know, in your later 30s. I, Cause he goes, cause I remember being in high school and you were a big deal. And I'm like, oh my God. See, see, that's awesome that he would say that. See, I get stuff like, wow, he's still alive. <laughs> that's a whole different range. 
<laughs> hey man, we're just we're just we're just climbing the ladder. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now what was your question? <laughs> it was just about Pixar. I just, you know, I'm wondering like what's the what makes it hit home in your heart so much that that is the thing that is the most seemingly from what I have heard really one of the most meaningful things that you've done. Well, that's that's really meaningful because uh first of all, it's 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 an organization and they make movies that every huge A-list actor wants to do. They all want to do it for the kids or or or, or, or their uh, grandkids or they all want to do a Pixar movie. So the fact I not just got not only got picked to do a character in one, but it turned into three and a theme park. I mean, it's really a dream come true. Um, I liked it because it, it, I had kids and um, I was able to bring in a whole nother group of people that's why my act started to change because i had kids once you have kids you start to think differently you have different priorities it's not about you anymore it's about your kids and you want your kids to grow up good you want you want them to give them a good foundation you want them to see their dad in some things that are really cool that they so that's when i just started writing things different keeping the same thing you know i did the character is the character you can't flip you know but writing jokes that I'm more comfortable with, with kids. And since Pixar came along, uh, that was perfect um, because I'd already started to adjust my act and try to change everything. And then here came Pixar. But I think the cool thing about it was John hired me because of the voice. He loved the voice. The voice was his tow truck. And I had worked so hard on, on um, uh, developing this and marketing myself and doing these radio stations uh, for no pay, a lot of them for years. No, and just in the back of my saying, wondering at some point, this is going to have to lead to something because it's getting more and more popular. It already led to the blue color comedy tour. So, you know, let's see what else happens. And by gosh, uh, I would have never dreamed when I first did that voice on stage when in 19, uh, probably in the late 80s, never would I have dreamed that that was the start of a Pixar character. I would have never dreamed. And it's just really cool to see the development from the very first time I went on stage. The very first time I went on stage that I'm a big rodeo fan. So I used mm, to watch. Love rodeo. Yeah, I used to watch Mesquite Championship Rodeo with Donnie Gay uh, on Sunday nights. And uh, I went on stage with a cowboy hat one time because I used to do some characters. I just put a hat on. And for three minutes, I went, well, we rode that bull yesterday. He took us up to pay wind. And, uh, you know, I took a shot in the shorts, but we went. Up. That's what it started with. Got an okay laugh. The next day I went up. And I did it as a cable installer because I literally had a cable installer come to our house in Florida. And he was just kind of a bumbling guy that thought he had the wrong, wrong house, but he wasn't sure. And, you know, cause the numbers on the house, but he, and so I just went on stage for the first time and I went, Hey, uh, do you order cable? Well, somebody's ordered something here. Cause we've been driving around this neighborhood, uh, 7.45. Yeah, well, this is the house. You know, and I literally did like a three-minute bet. That got wow. pretty good luck. But I would have never dreamed in a million years that that night, that would have developed into the character Mater. And so is this that cable guy, does this cable guy know who he is? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> He's probably dead now. He was probably 70, 40 years ago or however long it was. But... Um, yeah, so it's just, that's why it was really cool. It was just a culmination of something that I created in my head that just boom. And that that's just a cool feeling, you know, mm. um, to go backwards in time, then to the in-between from the birth of, you know, this voice and doing stuff on the radio. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're the voice of, you know, this huge character in cars uh, is the blue comedy tour and blue right. comedy tour. What was that like? I mean, I just, 
What is it like to have a room full of comedians? Like, I'm sure you guys are, I mean, I think from my experience, sometimes people don't realize that you might not interact that much. Right. Um, in certain environments, like there'd be times I go to the racetrack and, you know, there's certain drivers that you literally would only see in their car on the track and you'd actually right. never see them in passing and other points and maybe during driver intros or something like that. But just for a split second, you don't hang out with them. You right. don't but pe- but them. So what was it them. really like? Like, were you guys ever hanging out or was there separation? You know, I know Foxworthy's flying in on his jet and, you know, you know, doing, doing, doing the thing, but was there, was there real conversation? Rottery? Was there not? Um, how you know, was it was, really? Well, first of all, the funny thing about the progression of Blue Collar Comedy Tour was hilarious because Jeff flew in on the jet. We all flew in on Delta. <laughs> and then by the time the third one was over, uh, we left to go go home. There was four jets lined up. <laughs> <laughs> Jets are the best. I know. I'm like, sounds like I'm sure I sound like such a dick right now, but they really are. No, they, hey, absolutely. I mean, if you're blessed enough to do it. But here's the thing about it people that what people don't get about it. Um, You don't take a jet unless there's money on the other end. You budget it out that when you want to take family trips, you can take X amount and take the jet. You don't want to do it if there's not money on the other end. But here's the thing about the jet. Uh, people go, ah, these blue-collar guys flying around. Well, you know what? It's pretty hard to get from Michigan to St. Joe to Texas to Florida in four days on commercial airlines. You can't do it. And it and you want to be, you work so much. You have to find a way to get somewhere quick so yeah. you can be with your family. That's what it was all about. Believe yeah. me. If I could have saved money getting somewhere quick, a lot cheaper, I'd have done it. But you can't do it and be an entertainer and do 280 days on the road and yeah. still spend time with your family. So yeah. um, I was one of the one of the things was I was fortunate though. A lot of those times I had a the family truckster. We toured in a tour bus together. So mm-hmm. uh on those blue-collar dates where we could get there in uh, eight to 10 hours on a tour bus, we would just take the bus out and I'd be my wife and my kids. It was awesome. But as far as the thing goes, you know what? Jeff and I have been friends since 1986. He's like my adopted brother. I love him with all my heart. Um, I frequently, very infrequently ran into Ron White. I knew Ron. I met him a couple of times. He was awesome. He was my friend. I mean, he was a nice guy, funny, but I'd only seen him a couple of times. I didn't know Bill Engvall for squat, never worked with him, didn't know him. I just knew he was on there. So when I joined the tour, that was the first time I was introduced to those two guys. But as we progressed and toured together and shows together, we were a tight knit group. We all were very close to one another. We had regular little brother fights like you would normally have little snippets here and snippets there and getting mad here at something. But in the end, at the end of the night, it was all good. We would never let that go into the next day because not only did we have something good going, we didn't want to ruin it, but we were truly friends and we did truly care about each other. And we knew that we never... Uh, we never got jealous of the other one's successes because we knew the minute one person got something good happened to them, it was going to happen to us. Mm. Uh, did we want it to happen to us first? Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe we're like, oh, man, I hope I get that. So, well, you know what? Everything good that happens to one of us is going to is going to happen to all of us. So so it was we always rooted each other on. It was great. The camaraderie, the backstage. We didn't sometimes some weekends. We would hang out all the time. We would go uh, to breakfast. We would, and then if it was just a one night a week, we would all fly in separate. We'd do our show, hang out for that hour backstage, and the meet and greet, go home. So, yeah, it's just like your NASCAR NASCAR guys, except we did hang everybody uh, about half the time that night. We never toured together on buses. We did a thing where it yeah. showed us all on a bus together. We never did that. But as far as that goes, it, those were some of the greatest times of our lives. People mm. always say, will there ever be a reunion of the Blue Collar Comedy Tour? And i got to be honest. Uh, 
it's really hard to replicate something that was so special mm -hmm. because you don't want people going, oh, man, it was really funny. But, man, I'll tell you what, back in the day, those guys, we don't want to back in the day. You know, you can't. You're, yeah. We're never going to top that. Uh, will you see us all four together one time when we're in our 70s in Vegas just for a fun thing to do? Maybe, maybe not. But as far as a big tour again with us, it's not going to happen. For somebody like you who's established and had plenty of success and sells lots of stuff. Oh, yeah, by the way, you sell. OK, hang on. I look. You sell <laughs> knives. You sell camo head covers. You sell um, like uh, mixes, like cake, mi like batter, oh, like cornbread so and breading chicken and stuff. That'll and make you your sell, toilet take a knee. Hang on. And you sell underwear. Absolutely. <laughs> is there a line that you've drawn in the sand for like, you know, I ain't, I'm not going to sell that. Well, no, but no, because nobody sells brown <laughs> colored underwear. So it was a perfect. <laughs> I mean, I sell only products that people need and should have. Um, you know, it's, it, here's why I do the products. Um, <laughs> I have a foundation to get it on foundation. We do a golf tournament to help raise money for the foundation, but I thought it'd be cool. How, what can, what else can we do? What other kind of money can we raise? So in the first Cars movie, I set by Paul Newman. And Paul Newman, believe it or not, people wouldn't, it's always funny who you see who's a fan and who you think would hear you or know your, Paul Newman, man, quoted a couple of my jokes and was a fan, said he thought I was funny, you know, love my one-liners, which I was like, holy mackerel. And so I picked his brain. I told him what I was doing. And I picked his brain that night. We were eating at a steakhouse, all the Pixar people, uh, for the first movie in Charlotte, North Carolina. We were about to have the thing. And I told him I wanted to be the redneck Paul Newman. Does he have any tips? And he gave me awesome tips on how to get food stuff out, uh, what he did to get food stuff out, how to work the internet. how to. And that's what we did. So all my products go, all my, all my profits, of course, people that make it, they got to get paid, but. Everything I make off of the food products and knives, it all goes to the Get It Done Foundation. That's me. And yeah, and so I, that's why we did that, just to make some extra money for the, the Get It Done Foundation. I do have a funny story about my food, though. Right when we first started that stupid pandemic thing, when they didn't let anybody do anything for two weeks, which, by the way, has turned out to be a disaster. Um, uh, somebody sent me a picture of three boxes of... Larry the Cable Guy Hamburger Helper on the show. That was it. It was a grocery store, completely empty on one whole side, but there were three boxes. And so I, I retweeted it and I said, when you're in the middle of the pandemic and the only food left are three boxes of Larry the Cable Guy Hamburger Helper, it might be time to retool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know. Actually, the one I forgot was your uh, Bloody Larry mix. I forgot that. Because that's no. what we talked about when you interviewed me for your show, is we talked about my wine and that you make Bloody Larry mix. That's that right. one, that sold out, I'm sure. Because drinking during the pandemic, especially early on, was prevalent. Right. And just to show the difference between you and me, you're, you're like, I know you love wine. You're a wine girl and you're selling wine. I'm doing bloody Larry. In <laughs> <laughs> <And> underwear. <laughs> Neighborhood oh helper. God. Oh my God. Well, the, I the bloody Larry mix, by the way, is uh, fantastic. That stuff, that, that is really good stuff and it's uh, doing really well. So that's, I'm that's awesome. Congrats. It's hard to do no matter what uh, yeah. you're trying to sell. The market yeah. is saturated everywhere and there's so many ways to reach people about what you're doing that even that's yeah. saturated. So that's, but you're, that's super you're cool. in the real tough market because there's a lot of people doing wine and there's not a lot of people doing Bloody Mary mixes, but there's <laughs> a lot of people doing wine and your wine's doing very well, correct? It is. It is. It's good. And we just launched a rosé last year. It's called Danica Rosé. People thought it was the first wine I did because Somnium, which is the Napa Valley wine, the Cab yeah. and Rosé and Sab Blanc, they, they didn't even really know about that because it didn't have my name on it. So, I mean, right. I feel like I got in the wine game. I got in the wine game in like 2009 i bought the property so i feel like i was ahead of the curve but yeah, anyway that's, um, uh, how big how big are the how big a boxes can you get uh 12 12 is a case how big i uh, what um uh no, I mean, you should have a bloody larry in, wine does, party does it come in the box the 12 ounce boxes 
<laughs> no, the, you've seen wine in a box, right? Oh, that kind, that kind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right over my head. Yes, I have. I'm sure I've drank it before, and then I don't remember. The only wine joke I ever wrote was uh, that Valentine's Day is uh, all about the women. It's all about their special day. So be courteous. And if you, if you, if you have to fart, make sure you time it with the wine cork. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, I said, I bet we went through eight bottles of wine. That's <laughs> <laughs> how so classy I am, Danica. Oh, my God. That's so fantastic. <laughs> well, Larry, you're a wonderful. Sorry, Larry, Dan. Um, <laughs> now that we're now that we're real friends. Um, it's yeah, been this a pleasure. was nice. Thank you. This was nice because, I mean, we run into each other all the time. I, I know. Got you, so this is great. I know. I know. Well, next time I see you, I'm going to say, Hey, Dan. And, uh, <laughs> then we're going to, we'll be, we'll pick up where we left off in the meantime, maybe I'll come see you on your tour. I would love to come see you perform. Yeah, man. That'd be awesome. Just, you know, you know, always check my, uh, guy.com, my Twitter, my, all my social media. I'll tell you where I'm at. And if you say, Hey, Dan, when we're in public, you say, Dan, I'll turn around and go, Hey, what's going on, man? It's good talk to you. I never seen you. <laughs> I'll go right into the accent. <laughs> well, if I see you at a show, probably. But if I see you at Starbucks or something else, maybe not. No, it'd be completely normal. Trust me. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dan. And um, yeah, everybody can come watch you watch you perform and and uh, play all your roles that people love. That's awesome. Hey, Danica, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah. good luck to you and all you're doing. Can I do one of these before I leave? Sure. Get, get her done. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sign off with a get or not, I guess, right? Yeah, obviously. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.